My faith in God is not conditional on my spouse, on my children, on my wealth, on my prominence, on my position. My faith in God is not conditioned on any of that. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. You know, I was thinking about if you were to summarize the entire Bible down to four words, you could probably summarize it to these four words. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. Of course, there's a lot more to the Bible than that. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I'm a Bible teacher. I want to encourage you to get into the Bible, read it, love it. But you know, if you read the Bible, you can't help but see that that is the foundational principle of the Bible. The entire Bible rests on that truth, that God loves you and he wants us to love him back. Amen? That is the foundational truth that the entire Bible is written on. There's a time in uh, Mark when Jesus was walking and talking, and you know this if you've read the Gospels, that people will uh, follow Jesus around, ask him questions. And in Mark chapter 12, you see all kinds of different groups and almost parties and factions following Jesus and trying to pin him down or debate with him or argue with him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes. Um, And when they were with Jesus, there was one group in particular, the scribes, who were interested because they wrote the word of God. They would make copies of it. And the scribes were actually interested in that question. What is the greatest commandment in the Bible? It's a question I asked my boys this morning, and it's a question I want to ask you. What is the greatest commandment in the Bible? It's the same question that that Jesus was asked in Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 12. We're going to read it together. And if you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible for you in the seatbacks in front of you. I encourage you to grab one, take it out. We give you full permission to steal that Bible. Take it. It's yours. Put your name in it. Just promise me you'll read it. Amen? Awesome. Uh, In Mark chapter 12, Jesus, beginning in verse 28, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say heart. Heart. And with all your soul. Say soul. Soul. And with all your mind. Say mind. Mind. And with all your strength. Say strength. Strength. Now you have to say strength stronger than that. Say strength. strength. Hey, there we go. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can gather together in your house today. God, we thank you that we've had this moment to praise you and worship you and spend time with you, God. Pray to you. And now, God, as we open the word, we pray, God, that you would speak to us. I pray, God, that every one of us leaves here today changed forever because we've been touched by you, touched by your word. Speak to us today and help us to grow in our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. 
How many of you have uh, heard of that book, The Five Love Languages? Nice and high. Hands? Hey, well, that's, like, that's like probably more of you have probably read that book than the Bible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Put your hands up. How many of that? I cannot. That's amazing. Well, uh, there have been some 20 million copies of that book sold. And I have to tell you, that book changed my life and saved me a lot of money, tons of money when I read, when I read that book. Because I found out there are five love languages, basic ways that people receive love from one another. Let's see if I can remember off the top of my head. I did read the book, not Cliff Notes. Uh, so there's uh, time. You can receive love by time. There's words of affirmation. There's gifts. There's acts of service. And there's one more. Uh-oh. Touch. Touch. Physical affection. Thank you. Physical affection. Oh, man. Um, those are the five ways that we receive love. Now, when I grew up in my home with mom and dad, I would always see my dad buying my mom nice gifts. He was always buying her flowers. So I learned as a kid, the way you show, lo show love to your wife is buy flowers, buy nice things. So I just kind of copied and pasted what my dad did and did that, you know, to my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife. And um, I would buy her flowers. And I, 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 when I bought her flowers, I'm saying I bought her flowers. Like I went twice a week to the florist to buy flowers. I had them delivered to her home, to her workplace, to her school. Like literally was just showering her with flowers. She kept, like she, she's very sentimental. So she kept all of these flower buds and the petals. Like it, 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 a couple of years ago, we just had to get rid of them. It was like, what are we doing with all these flower petals? So. Uh, I was doing that as a way for me to say, I love you to her. And then we read the book. <laughs> and I discovered that her love language was not gifts, it was actually quality time. And she told me, I, I just want to, you know, spend time with you, go out to eat, go for walks, go for drives, just spend time, talk on the phone. So once I knew that, it actually like changed my life. I, and I kid you not, maybe this was mean of me, but immediately I stopped buying flowers. <laughs> immediately. I saved a lot of money doing that. My florist, true story, went out of business. <laughs> I think I was keeping her afloat. But um, I, I, I ended up just spending time with her. And you know, she not one time noticed or complained. Like suddenly, no flowers. She never said, hey, what's going on? What's gives? No flowers. She never noticed because that was not her love language. The way she received love was actually by spending time with her. And you know, it's important for you and I, when we're in relationship and friendship with people, even our own children, to know what is the way that we communicate love to them? How do they hear and receive love? Because it's not just my wife and my children, but how many know God has a love language? And God has a way that he receives and hears love from you. Sometimes we want to show and express our love to God through works, right? By doing good deeds and God, look what I did for you today. But actually God is not impressed by some of those things. The truth is what God is impressed by is a heart and a mind and a soul and a body that is fully and completely committed to him. What God is looking for is all of us. And that's what we see in Mark chapter 12. When Jesus answered the question, what is the greatest commandment? The first thing he said is this. He says, you are to love the Lord your God. Love him. Love him. There are so many things that will pull at our attention. And God is saying, resist those distractions. If God truly is God, 
If he truly is the maker and creator of the universe, if he is the author and finisher of your faith and your destiny, then he deserves all of our love and our affection. And then nothing should be able to compete with that. But Jesus is speaking the truth here. He knows there are many things that will try to get in the way of your love and your affection for him. And God is saying, first and foremost, love me. Love God. So interesting, right, that when he's talking about this, he doesn't say fear me, although the Bible does say that. He's not saying obey me, although the Bible says that. It's so interesting to me that God is so interested in our love for him. I want you to get a hold of that today because I think many of us are on this performance track with God where, God, I have to perform for you. I have to do good for you. I want to impress you. Guess what? God's not impressed. <laughs> you know? It's like when my kids would make me nice collages and pictures. It's like, oh, that's great. That's really great. Put it on the refrigerator. I'm not knocking my kids, but guess what? I didn't love them because of what they made for me. I love them because I'm their father. And what I love is they thought of me, right? That they took their time to write a card and put a collage together, make a stick figure of dad. There's one picture, dad's like this little tiny thing and then mom's like this huge, I was like, oh, something's wrong here. Mom's like the giant in their life and I'm the tiny little stick figure. But I know they love me, they do love me. But guess what? God has a love language. God wants our love. He wants our affection. So let's talk about it. Let's look at it today. When, when Jesus talked about love, the first thing we should realize is that this was something that he wanted us to do on a regular basis. Jesus, when he talked about this in Mark 12, he's actually quoting something, almost quoting something from Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament. There was this prayer that the Jewish people, even to this day, will pray every day. It's called the Shema, the Shema. And this was like for us, this would be for us, uh, for us today, it would be like the, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. You know it, you've memorized it, some of you pray it all the time. The Shema is the Jewish equivalent to that. They would pray it morning and night, every single day, twice a day. They would even write the verses after the Shema. They would write, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. They would put those, that verse from Deuteronomy 6 in something called the mezuzah, a tiny little scroll. And they would staple that thing or nail it right to a door. If you've ever visited a Jewish person's home, you'll see the mezuzah right there on the doorpost. What was that there for? That was a reminder to them. Every time you leave your house in the morning, you touch that. You have a prayer. It's a commitment. God, I'm leaving my home today, but my heart still belongs to you. You go through your work. You go through your life. You enjoy your leisure. But guess what? You come back home. You see that mezuzah. It's a reminder. God, I still love you. I'm still yours. I belong to you. You have all of my heart. The mezuzah was a constant reminder that we are to love God with all that we are. And then it was something on the inside of the doorpost and even on the inside of the home. Incredible. And then if you read on in Deuteronomy 6, it will even talk about how you're supposed to talk about this. So love is not just a private thing between you and God. How many have heard people say, oh, religion, eh, just keep it to yourself. That's not how God looks at it. He says, talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your children. Make sure when you're, you're rising and you're going for a walk or you're sitting down, whenever and whatever you're doing, you're constantly going to be thinking about and communicating and, and meditating on God and his word. That's what the mezuzah, that's what the Shema, what Deuteronomy 6 was trying to communicate. That's what Jesus is saying right here in Mark chapter 12. He's saying, make sure that you love him and Think about him and consider him and talk about him with other people. 
when we use that word love and love for God, he's saying, welcome God into his presence. Every time we worship on a Sunday, it's not just karaoke, right? It's not just, it's not just music. Or, I invited a friend to church and asked him, hey, how was, what do you think of service? He's like, oh, the band was amazing. That rock band, incredible. It's like, oh, well, they're worship leaders, not a rock band. But, but what he was communicating was it, it, he, he sensed something. There was something here. And that's what we're doing. Every time we worship on a Sunday, we're welcoming God's presence. We're saying, God, we love you. We're making space for you. We're making, a, making you a priority in this time. This is what God is looking for, and this is what we see in the Bible. What is this love, and where does it come from? Look at this in 1 John chapter 4. I'll put it on the screen here. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Look at that. We sometimes think we love God, and then God loves us back. That's not what we see. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God is the initiator. God is the one who starts love. You know what? I often remind my wife that I was the first one to say, I love you. Say, like, ah, see, I, I'm the one that really was invested in this relationship first. I said, I love you first. God is the one that gets to brag and say, I get to say, I loved you first. God says, I love you. He says, but that he loved us. And how did he prove it? How did he demonstrate it? He sent his son to, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, even there's the language, be loved, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There it is. You love God and you love others. We love God and we love others. First thing that God is telling us is number one, and there's four of them. I want to move very quickly through these. The first one, he says to love God with all of your heart. First, to have a heart that is totally undivided, a heart that is in complete unity, the very first thing he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's my emphasis there, because there are things that will pull at our heart. Come on. There are things that will divide our hearts, divide our, our affections. But God is saying, I want all of you. I want all of you. Remember, God is the one that said, I love you first. And how did he do it? God went all in with you. He held nothing back. When he saved you, he didn't send an angel to save you. When he saved you, he didn't send just a man to save you. You're a good man or a warrior or a great king. He, saved, he sent his son. He sent perfection in the flesh to save you. When God saved you, he went all in. It was big. And that's what God is saying to us. He's saying, I have loved you in such a way that is huge, that is infinite. God has an infinite capacity for love. And now God says, I want you to show the same love towards me. Love, not from a place of emptiness or division, but love from the overflow that God gives you. He's filled you with love. And now he says, pour that back out on me. Show me your affection, your love, and your devotion to me. Amazing, amazing. So when we talk about the heart, first he says, love me with all of your heart. The heart is this, it's your control center. The heart is your control center. The heart is where you make up your mind. It's where your decisions are made. We always even talk about the heart as being essential, right? You take the heart from somebody, they're not going to survive. They're not going to last long. When you fall in love with someone or you make a decision to love someone, you give them your heart. You're saying, I give you my heart. 
We know that the heart is so important. We know the heart is absolutely essential. And we, we don't even give it to everybody, right? Like you don't give your boss your heart, do you? I guess unless you're kind of strange, you're looking for a weird raise or something like that. But you don't give, you don't give your boss your heart. You don't give a stranger your heart. You give your heart to people you love. You give your heart to people that you trust. You give your heart to people you're willing to be vulnerable with. You're willing to let them see a side of you that no one else has seen. You're saying, I'm, I'm imperfect. I'm fallen, I'm broken, I've messed up. And God says, I'll take your heart. You can trust me with your heart. You can't trust everyone with your heart, but you can trust Jesus with your heart. You can trust the Lord with your heart. He knows that your heart isn't always perfect. He knows your life isn't always perfect. When you give your heart to someone, you're, you're saying, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I'm going to be open with you and honest with you. And that's what God is saying when he says, I want your heart. He wants your control center. You give full permission for Jesus to come in, the Holy Spirit to come in and start messing around with your future, messing around with your desires and the things you want to do. And you say, God, I'm, I'm giving this to you. I'm holding nothing back. My heart, my heart belongs to you. That's what God is looking for. He doesn't want you to think of God as just a boss, right? Or just a master. Abraham and Moses were two people in the Bible that God said, I'm gonna call you friend. And that is the same invitation that God gives to you and I because God wants not a, not a, a, uh, a relationship that's based on give and take. He wants a relationship that's based on friendship, based on intimacy based on trust and, and heart and love. This is the relationship that God is looking for. So number one, how do we love God? <clears throat> we love him with all our heart, all of our heart. Number two, we see that, <clears throat> we see that God tells us, commands us, Jesus tells us to love God with all of our soul, all of our soul. When we talk about the soul, our soul, we're talking about the life force the life force. I think it'll come up in a minute. Um, God wants us to love us. Uh, God wants us to love Him with with the very with our whole being. When you read in the Old Testament about the soul, there's two words that are sometimes translated as soul. Number one, it's the breath. Number two, it's your life. God is saying, "Love me with my with your life. Pour out your life to me. Are you willing to give God your life?" That's what it means. The greatest commandment, when God is talking about love, he's not talking about emotion. He's talking about a decision. He's not talking about a feeling. You know, love is not something you fall into. Love is something you decide, something you make a decision to do. And God is saying, choose to love me with your life. Pour out your life to me. The word breath is even interesting there because where do we see breath first used in the Bible? It's when God creates Adam. God creates Adam out of mud. And he pours his life force, he pours his breath, he breathes into Adam, and then Adam becomes a living being with a soul inside of him. When you love God with your soul, you're saying, God, everything I have comes from you. That you have literally given me life. You have literally breathed into me. And even if I lose everything in my life, I still have your breath. I still have your presence. I still belong to you. God is saying that if we love God with our soul, it means that no matter what happens to us, 
whether it's pain or it's persecution or it's poverty, whatever comes against us, we can still love God. And there are times in the Bible, you've seen this. How many know who Job is? Job. Job, an amazing, amazing story. Here's a man who was righteous, loved God, did sacrifices before God, but then he loses everything. Bible says he loses his children, he loses his wealth, he loses his place of prominence in his community, he even has his wife turn against him. But through all of this, Job ends this calamity by saying, naked I came into the world and naked I will leave. Job had perspective. Job said, no matter what happens to me, my faith in God is not conditional on my spouse, on my children, on my wealth, on my prominence, on my position. My faith in God is not conditioned on any of that because he gave me everything that I am. You strip everything away from me, I'm still gonna love God. I'm still gonna trust God. That's what it means when we say we're gonna love God with all of our soul because eventually this world will pass away. Our time on the, on the earth will pass away, but our soul will continue on in eternity. And that's why God says, you gotta love me with more than the physical. You gotta love me more than just your body. You gotta love me with your soul, something deeper, your very life, the very essence of who you are. Number three, God says to love me with all of your mind. Love me with your mind. Your mind is your thought capacity. It's your ability to think and reason. We don't think of your brain as an instrument of love. We think of your heart that way, right? We think of your soul even as something that we can love God with. But we don't think of our mind as an instrument of love. But God sees your mind as precious, as important, as something that should be protected as something that can be offered to God. God says, love me with the way you think. Things that no one else can see, God is saying, love me with your thoughts. Love me with your daydreams. Love me with your meditations. Whatever comes on you, love me with that. Some of us come to God and say, yeah, but my mind, God, if you could see my mind, it's kind of, it's not always great what I'm thinking about. God says, I can read your mind. I know what you're thinking about. I know the thoughts of man, the Bible says. And guess what? God says, I love you anyways. I'll take your mind. We'll start cleaning it up. It says this. The Bible says that when we come to God, he says we can get a new mind. We have the mind of Christ. There is something powerful that happens when you give your life to Jesus. You see it. When someone's baptized, it's amazing. It's amazing. When you hear their story and you get to see what's happening, that you are seeing a physical representation of a spiritual thing, a very deep spiritual thing. They are standing in that water, confessing their shortcomings, confessing that there's a sin in their life, that that they're ashamed of their past and they're guilty because of their sin, but Jesus forgives them. They stand in that water and they say, I'm willing to die to this thing. I'm dying to myself but I'm gonna rise to new life. So what do they do? They die in the waters of baptism and then they're they're risen up. They come out of that water. They rise up out of that water, cleansed, washed. That's why we don't baptize in sand. (laughs) We baptize in water because water is a picture of cleansing. When a person is baptized, you're seeing two things. You're seeing a funeral and a resurrection. You're seeing a person You're seeing a person who says, I'm dying to myself. I'm not gonna live in this thing any longer. 
I'm not going to live in my past. I'm not going to stay stuck in, the, in temptation or stuck in sin or stuck in bondage, but I'm free in Jesus' name. And God starts to make you new. The Bible says he gives you a new heart. He renews your soul. Right there, it says that we have the mind of Christ. He literally starts to give you a new way of thinking. Here's another verse. It says not only we have the mind of Christ, but it also says... We have the Holy Spirit. I have it over here. Um, In Romans 8, 6, it says, to set the mind of the Spirit is is life and peace. You have the mind of Christ, and then the Holy Spirit tag teams with Jesus. (laughs) It takes the two of them. How many know that? It takes Jesus, and it takes the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you life and gives you peace. Jesus wants to cleanse your mind, clear your mind, make your mind healthy. And then you start thinking about different things. You start being consumed with the same things that Jesus is interested in. When Jesus walked the earth, you can see it when you read the Gospels. He talked over and over again about whatever God was interested in. The kingdom of God. He was interested in in God's mission. He was interested in saving the people. He was interested in healing people and freeing people. Guess what? When you have a mind that says, I love you with all of my mind, you start to think like Jesus. And you start to prioritize the thing Jesus prioritizes. And you, you meditate and, and start to, to, to uh, uh, allow those thoughts to dominate your mind. How many know God wants to dominate your thinking? It's okay to say yes to that. God wants to dominate your thinking. If he is God and your creator and he's giving you a new mind, then it's okay to say, God, I'm going to let you dominate the way that I think. Sometimes we don't even think about what we're thinking about. Sometimes we allow these thoughts just to come into our mind, but the Bible actually warns us to take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. There are going to be things that race across your mind, and sometimes we allow it to stay in our mind. Thoughts of anxiety, thoughts about our guilt, thoughts about our past and shame and temptation. And Jesus is saying, the Bible tells us to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Control your thinking. Control what you meditate on. When you say, I'm going to love God, I'm going to give my mind to God, that means your mind has to be filtered. There are going to be some thoughts you're going to allow to stay, and they're going to grow deep roots, and you're going to build your life around those thoughts. Then there are going to be roots you have to exercise. (laughs) There are some roots you have to evacuate. You need to get them out of your mind because they're not of Christ. They're not in line with the Holy Spirit. They're not going to confess what you believe. I'm going to love God with all of my mind. Amen? Is this helpful to you today? Is this helping you? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then look at this, moving on to number four, the fourth way, the fourth dimension to our, our, the way that we love God. He says, love God with all of your strength, all of your strength. This is where we get to love God with our bodies, right? You love God. This is where we can actually see it. We can feel it. Every time you raise your hands in church, you're saying, God, I'm going to love you with my strength. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to lift my voice. There are times we kneel, times that we pray. Sometimes when I'm praying, I have to walk around a bit because my body doesn't want to worship God. My body doesn't want to pray. I have to actually wake myself up, so I have to walk around a bit just to pray. It helps me. When you love God with all of your strength, you're saying that I'm going to give my body to God. 
as a sacrifice. That's what Romans 12:1 says. Offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. When you offer your body to God, he moves in with you. He lives in you. The Bible says that your body becomes a temple of God, a place of worship. Have you thought of your body as that? A place of worship? A place where God is revered and honored and worshiped because we can think about him, because our hearts are consumed by him. God wants our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our souls to be consumed and in line and in love with him. When we think about our strength, it's not just our bodies though. I think our, our, our bodies can also mean, it, it also means like our, our ability to push forward, our ability to persist, our ability to say, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I feel weak, but I'm gonna be strong. And I think that's another way that God is saying, love me even when you feel weak, even when you don't feel like it. Come on, how many have ever been in a place where you didn't feel like it, but you had to push through? All right, half of you are telling the truth. <laughs> I've been in that place. I've been in that place where sometimes you don't feel it. David did that. And David would speak to himself and he would say, soul, why are you cast down? Rise up. Remember who God is. He's the God of your salvation. He's the God who rescues you. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself. Do you know it's okay to do that sometimes? Just don't answer yourself, as they say. But you can talk to yourself and tell yourself, no, you've got to worship God. You've got to, you're going to love God. On a Sunday morning, you don't feel it? No, I'm going to be in church. Nothing's going to stop me. Some of you have been thinking about, you know, whether or not you're going to get baptized or join the church. Some of you are thinking about, you know, starting to make friends in, in the church. Sometimes you have to push past those fears and those apprehensions and say, no, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a decision, declare over my life that I'm moving forward with God. I love what Daisy said in her story today. She said, this is the beginning. God is sanctifying my life. He's making me holy. She recognizes something. She's not perfect. This is just one step in a long journey of being perfected. And that's what happens when we give our lives to Christ and we say, God, I'm gonna love you with all that I am with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. God, everything that I am, I'm going to worship you. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna seek you out. I'm gonna spend time with you. This is the relationship that God wants with us. Not just when things are good, not just when things feel great, but even in the downtimes, even when things aren't so good. These four things, they work together. They work together. Some of us are good at some areas, right? We love God with our heart. We're very full of passion and we love, we, we, we love to get emotional. For me, I tend to be on the intellectual side. I love to love God with my mind. Love to read and read the Bible and study. Learn about God, meditate on God. But one thing God has been showing me is I need to love him with all of my being. Not just my mind, my heart, my soul, my body. What area is God saying, love me in that? You're loving me great here? but are you loving me in these other areas? What areas is God saying, love me with your control center? Maybe there are parts of your, your life you've held away from God. You're keeping him, you know, hoping he doesn't notice it. He notices it and he's saying, give me your heart. I wanna be in control of your life. I wanna live in your life. I wanna end on this one, number five, the fifth one. And there's actually not five, but it, the scribe asks God or asks Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus answers by quoting the Shema and talking about the four ways we can love God, but then without any, you know, no ask, Jesus immediately just adds, and he says, and the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. See, I believe that's another way that we can show our love to God, by loving others. But before we can love others, Jesus says, you gotta love yourself. And I wanna speak to some of you today. I think some of you deal with a low view of yourself. Sometimes we carry around shame or guilt, we carry around our past, we carry around our sin, and we allow these things to keep us from fully loving God and loving other people. And I believe today God wants to free you from that. He doesn't want you to be dominated by self-hatred or self-loathing, looking down upon yourself. When God sees you, his heart is filled with joy. He loves you. Say it. He loves me. He loves you. Before you can love God and before you can love others, you have to be able to recognize God does love me. Receive his love and allow your thinking to change even about yourself. And then he doesn't stop there though. He says, love yourself, but make sure you love others. Love others. Specifically, he says, love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Who are your neighbors? Your neighbors are those closest to you. Start there. Start there. Start with the, person, the people that you're closest to. It's the church. It's people we see in church. It's people we worship with, crews and the A-team. But it's also your spouse and your children. Maybe there's some... For some of you, maybe there's something in that relationship. Some of those close relationships, your neighbor relationships, those that are supposed to be closest to you, but you're actually kind of distant from them. Pray today, God, give me a new love for my spouse. Give me a new love for my children or my parents. Give me a new love for my church. Maybe there are people that have hurt you. Maybe there are people that have let you down. Ask God, give me forgiveness in my heart towards these people. Help me, God, to love my neighbor. Sometimes it's easier to love the orphan in China than to love those right in our own homes. We see the people that hurt us every day. And sometimes it's hard. We carry around this kind of hurt. And God is saying, release it. There are three areas God wants you to show and demonstrate love. Love God. Love yourself and then love others, love your neighbor. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you wanna learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.